This is the EPLOG audio experience. Hi, this is Kunal Kapoor and I'm the host for Podcast MD by Keto. Welcome to the first episode of our first ever podcast. Before we get into it, let me tell you how Podcast MD by Keto came about. As most of you may know, I'm also one of the founders of Keto, one of the country's leading crowdfunding platforms. Medical crowdfunding has been one of the biggest causes for us at Keto. Over 500 crores have been raised to successfully fund urgent medical cases and save lives. But sadly, the number of people in India not able to afford healthcare has only been rising. And so we've increased our focus on healthcare to make it more accessible and affordable. While being unable to secure funds for treatment is obviously one of the biggest concerns for both patient and their family. We found there were gaps beyond as well. When someone is suddenly hit with a serious medical condition, there's so much one isn't prepared for. One may or may not be prepared to handle the finances, but everything else that comes with it, one certainly isn't prepared for. And that's what Podcast MD by Keto is about. Trying to understand everything around, the emotional aspect, dealing with doctors and hospitals, making the difficult choices and just coping with it all. Another thing that we came to realize in working closely with healthcare was that in spite of increased efforts and awareness, the number of cancer-related cases are only increasing. And so, we decided that in our first season, we're going to take on the big C. I'm going to be chatting with cancer survivors from different backgrounds to find out how they dealt with everything that comes with the disease. We want survivors to share their experiences as that could inspire and help others get through a difficult period in their life and also help them understand more about the disease. Our guest today is Smriti Shivdasan, one of the most remarkable people I've met. She's had multiple bouts with cancer, but each time she's come through standing tall. Her journey is incredibly inspiring. So thank you, thank you so much for being here. And, uh, you know, to start off, let's uh, start off with you, you know. <laughs> Where you grew up, your childhood, if you could tell us something about that. So, first let me say thank you. Thank you for inviting me here. Thank you for this wonderful work that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you so much. I believe that each of us has come to this particular planet. I mean, I'm sure we could have gone to many. Hmm. But we chose this one because we came here to be something and to be a gift. And I'm so grateful for the gift that you are being by creating these podcasts and creating an awareness, so to say, around uh, a very touchy and sensitive topic called illness. Right. Health. It is a very touchy right. topic. Right. Yeah. So for me, my life can be summarized as shitty childhood. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, the first time I tried to kill myself was when I was about 14 years old. There was something that had occurred and which made me feel that I'm very worthless. I don't deserve to exist. And uh, I thought I'll go and jump. And I went on top of a building. I used to be studying in a boarding then. And uh, at that time, I thought that I didn't have the guts to jump. And so I didn't jump. Hmm. But something kept me alive. I didn't jump. Today, in hindsight, I'm grateful <laughs> that I did. Although I thought I was quite a coward for not having jumped. So... But we spoke about how, how that uh, that moment in your life came back to you much later. 
we'll come to that later. later yeah so yeah so basically but uh, it was really a defining sort of moment a, yeah it was in a your moment life. yeah it was a moment that i think shaped my future mm. uh in hindsight now i know that our point of view creates our reality that time i didn't know that and because i thought that i was worthless i kept creating situations in my life where i felt worthless so mm. basically i can say that while i had some great moments i'm not saying i didn't have great moments but i grew up pretty bitter pretty angry about a whole lot of stuff and i kept creating abusive relationships in my life and when i say abusive it's not only physical but right. it can also be mentally emotionally right. abusive and uh, that that uh, thing about i i'm worthless kept getting created in my life so to say uh till i got to a point where i had to take a look at life seriously and uh, when my mom was critical and uh, she was suffering from cancer and i got introduced to nichiren daishonin's buddhism and where i understood that oh my god i'm responsible for the creation of my life and that's when life started taking a turn and my life started getting better hmm. because i started using the principles of creation of life and uh, yeah so basically my life not so great up to hmm. a point hmm. and after that complete transformation from horrible relationships to beautiful relationships no money to plenty of money and all of that but uh, so would you attribute this to buddhism your your introduction to buddhism Abs- was that the absolutely that's that's the that's the key point in my life where my life started turning and changing for the better for mm. sure mm. and there have been then more milestones after that uh but uh, yeah that is my turning point so growing up not so great uh, life now fabulous <laughs> that's how i can say this i have a beautiful family wonderful friends lovely husband lovely child everything that i dreamed of and there's lots of more wonderful things to come absolutely and what would it take yeah so uh coming to uh your first bout with cancer the first time that you discovered you had cancer was in 2012 2012 yeah my mom had passed away with cancer uh in 2004 and uh, uh it was when she was critically ill in 2003 is when i really started seeking answers as to hmm. what is life what is death what how, how does illness get created and i was in com- for a complete shock when i discovered that i have uh, created it in my body and i very specifically use these words that i have created it in my body because we like to believe that cancer happens to people hmm. I would have loved to buy that and I would have loved to stay that way but that doesn't enable me to change anything so I say that yes that's when I recognize that I had created cancer also I did I didn't know that then it's this is in hindsight I'm saying all of this but yeah 2012 I was told that I've got breast cancer did your mother have the same sort of cancer yep, yep. my mom had breast cancer and then it kind of spread into her entire body so it just deteriorated over a period of four and a half five years and she passed with that So 2012 when I was told that I have breast cancer I was pretty shocked. Mm. You know this is something that you don't think will ever happen to you. Right. But when it does it shakes you up and right. it did shake me up. It shook my whole family up. We'd been through an ordeal with my mom and it was not something that you know you welcome into your life. At least at that point in time I couldn't. Right. It was very scary. However to by God's grace at that point of time it was um, at the beginning stage and um it could be controlled uh yeah right it so could... how how did you discover 
that you had uh, cancer in the first place very funny story i uh, i developed an infection in my underarms post uh, waxing appointment which i took from somebody else rather than my regular and i guess something went wrong and i developed this uh, infection in my armpit and when i went to show it to the skin specialist uh, you know how they just generally ask and they felt that them some nodules were hard and they said we you know considering that you have a history it's like uh, with your mom it's better that you get this checked mm. and i went to get it checked and uh, this was 2011 i get it i got it checked and uh, the radiologist mentioned that you have some uh, calcifications etc looks benign but with the history i would recommend get it removed mm. and then when we consulted uh, a breast cancer specialist uh, we were told that there's nothing to be done about it let's just monitor it and by the time i went in for my next checkup it had become malignant and then when i went and back to my radiologist your, your next uh, checkup was was how many months after the first uh, first time you uh, got checked this was about 8 9 months later when i said that it's really hurting and i need to get this looked at because mm. it's paining a bit much mm. and everybody said oh it's paining means it's nothing that means you're fine i said well whatever i need to get this checked and i mm. got it checked and by then it had got out of hand yet it had not gone out of the wall they call it like in situ so it could be addressed with a lumpectomy mm. and then i had to undergo 36 cycles of radiation and then that was it So in terms of physical treatment that was it but in terms of uh, how I looked at it I said you know what there's something here that I need to do and this treatment is not enough hmm. and that was the first time I looked at alternate healing I could face it with a lot of courage there was hmm. no doubt about it because my buddhist practice has always been my core and it gave me the courage and the strength to be able to deal with what had shown up in my life but i knew that there was something more that i needed to do and that's when i looked at alternate healing and i started uh, learning i went for a session actually some friend told me why don't you look at alternate healing mm-hmm. and that's how i got there i went for a session and from there it was like a pitara opening up you know how does disease get created in the body and that fascinated me and i I went to study alternate healing modalities and the first one I studied was Reiki and then I learned NLP and I learned EFT and matrix reimprinting and my journey into alternate healing began. But where did you start off uh, learning you did you travel somewhere to learn? Uh... No, I found teachers in Mumbai and right. then also teachers who come in from abroad and teach all these modalities here and mm. You know once you start seeking the doors just start opening right. and one person tells you about this and another person tells you about that and it felt like I was a child in a candy store and I was fascinated I mean I didn't know that the way we think and feel creates an imbalance of energies in the body and that's how diseases get created I didn't know the connection between uh, you know I mean I'm sure there were books all the time and information was always there but was not in my awareness that there's this mind body connection to so to say also i guess uh, when you're when you've been faced with something that is difficult yeah you personalize it a lot more and it becomes you know you dwell into it much deeper like you're saying there's books available and we read these books all the time and we watch videos on youtube <laughs> and stuff but you don't really think like this is going to happen to you and you don't really get into the depth of it no you unless don't unless you really need to no you don't and that's why i say that illnesses are basically wake up calls and mm. 
in hindsight, I don't think illness is a bad thing. But that's now. I can see mm-hmm. that now after having gone through the ordeal and it's been a long haul. And within a few months of uh, my being diagnosed with cancer, this was in May 2012 when I had my surgery and followed by radiation in June, July. And by December, my dad was diagnosed with cancer and he had abdominal cancer. And um, by April 2013, he was gone. So then I realized that uh, what I had studied till then was not enough. I mean, he would wait for me to get to him. I was married and of course I was staying separately. I would go to his house every day and give him a Reiki and mm-hmm. he would wait for me to come because there was not much that doctors could do for him. He was in constant pain and he would wait. And the moment I would reach, he would make me put my hand on the you know tumors, which were like palpable in my hands. You didn't need a scan to oh, know God. there's a tumor at tumors. And uh, that would give him relief and that would give him some sleep for some time. And those were respites. But I knew there has to be something more, something that can reverse diseases, Mm. something like cancer can be reversed was something I knew deep in my heart, but I didn't know how. Mm. So I kept searching and I kept searching. And And, uh, by this point, you were cancer free. By this time, I was cancer free and I was on a maintenance uh, plan. So there's a regular protocol Mm. where you're put on oral medication, which is like a five year thing. Mm. And uh, uh, that's what you do medically. Uh, But um, I kept working on myself internally now that I had understood the connection. Mm. But now I can tell you in all vulnerability, I thought I had done a whole lot of cleanup going to all those workshops and all those healing sessions. But obviously, I had not cleaned up enough. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It showed up again in 2018. And from 2012 to 2018, there were no signs of anything that was wrong. Nothing really. It was in 2017, August, when I started feeling a lot of pain on one side of my stomach. And I used to get very, um, I used to have a lot of flatulence, very gassy my stomach used to be. So it just kept getting treated for that, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. gas, 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 gas. Mm. And <laughs> one didn't even think twice about it. But uh, in uh, Jan, when again I was complaining of a lot of pain, my brother-in-law, who's a cardiologist, he said, Smriti, this is happening a bit too often. Why don't you just go and get an ultrasound? And this was a pain in just one place? Or it was On one generalized? side of the stomach. No, just one side of the stomach. And closer to the appendix, where the appendix and the liver are. Actually, it was in that area. Mm. And um, I didn't think, I mean, again, I didn't think that I could be having something like this. And when I went for my sonography, uh, again, my radiologist says, Smriti, and she didn't have any words. She said, we need you to go into all the tests right away. It was so apparent in just the sonography. And immediately I was rushed into MRI and scans and stuff like that. Within a couple of days, the surgery was arranged. And uh, 
it was hilarious. I was supposed to start a workshop the next day. I was facilitating a workshop. By this time, I had become uh, certified as a facilitator for access consciousness workshops. Mm. And um, I refused to cancel my workshop. And my brother-in-law was like furious with me. And my husband was caught in between two of us. I said, I'm not canceling my workshops and I will do this afterwards. Do you understand the urgency of this? (laughs) Anyway, we scheduled a surgery and the doctor wasn't available and it worked well. I did my workshop and next day I was in the hospital for my surgery. I was told that um, uh, from the PET scans, what they could see was that the uterus was definitely affected. And uh, they would. They told me that they'll remove the uterus and the ovaries and they would have to remove the stomach lining because they could see it in the stomach mm. lining. But when they opened me up, they were all surprised and shocked that many other organs were also affected. affected. So it didn't kind of show up in the PET scan, Mm. so to say. Mm. And uh, of course, I'm out, right? I don't know what's happening. But my husband was informed that her gallbladder, spleen and appendix have to be removed besides the uterus ovaries. Part of the liver is also affected. So liver also has to be scraped partly. And they scraped the stomach lining and diaphragm lining. So it just kind of went on to become a major surgery. Um, Yeah. So it was quite a shocker yeah. again. And this time, actually, when you found out, it must have been it must have been more difficult than the first time, no? Because you feel like you've gone through everything, you've healed, you've gotten better, and then to be told again that <laughs> yeah, it must have been it's hmm. it's it's very challenging, and you wonder why. Had it not been for my Buddhist practice, I would have lost it, hmm. but. Because of what I'd studied in my practice, uh, I could handle it with far more equanimity. And by then, I had also a lot of uh, tools from Access Consciousness to deal with this. And uh, I'm quite a fighter. I am fairly courageous. Mm. I can say that for myself. Uh, I have major survival skills. That much I can say for myself. And I think all of that Uh, the spiritual strength stood me in good stead and the tools from Access which help you in day-to-day life to uh, work with pain, uh, discomfort or healing, etc. All of that contributed. So I handled it pretty well. But this time I knew that I have to go deeper in terms of my inner work. Mm. So the five years prior seemed to be like I probably wasted them. Actually, that's what I felt like that I wish I had gone deeper then. Hmm. But I thought I was done then. But obviously I realized I'm not done. So All it right. was a major wake-up call for me to go deeper. And this access uh, consciousness, where, where, where did you discover this? How did you come up about this? <laughs> so access consciousness, <clears throat> I came across. I was I was attending this workshop called Jinchinjutsu, which is a Japanese uh, art of balancing energies in the body, which create, you know, the imbalance and the disease, etc. And I'd heard about access consciousness, something called access bars. And I was very curious. Like I told you, I had become fascinated with this field. And um, I asked somebody, hey, has somebody done this? So yeah, yeah, you know, some people had. And then one of the girls said, listen, I'm going to get my certification and I'm going to be teaching it. Would you like to come? I said, sure, I'll be your first student. 
and I went in for this uh, access bars class. This was in 2013. 2013. Okay. This was after my dad had passed and I knew that what I had learned was not enough and I needed mm. something else. And then when I read up about access consciousness, I loved one class. It was that which, what invited me to access, which said, it's a three-day body class where you learn various hands-on processes which can reverse various ailments. I said, this is it. This is what I've really been looking for, mm. where I can reverse an ailment. This was like a big one for me. Mm. Having lost both my parents and having gone through it myself, reversing a disease was like my top priority mm. to mm. learn about it. So anything that I could get my hands on, I would learn. So that's what was att that attracted me to that class. But to do that class, I had to go through a couple of other classes. So by the time I got to that class, having been through the first few classes, my whole perspective about life shifted. So when this uh, came up, I had, uh, I had practical tools to deal with it. So I had my Buddhist practice where I had a perspective as to why it occurs, because Buddhism talks about the simultaneity of uh, cause and effect hmm. okay so one knows that one has made certain kind of causes either in thoughts words deeds in this lifetime or another lifetime that has created this in the first place and uh, there's a lot more deeper perspective to it and not the place to go into it right now but I knew why it was here and what I had to do with it and then the access tools helped me uh, recover much faster. Hmm. So this kind of a surgery, they thought, I mean, normally you would be in, I was told that I could be in the hospital for two to three weeks, even maybe uh, two weeks, definitely. But I was out within 10 days and somebody hmm. uh, exactly opposite me who had been through a similar surgery. Um, this is basically called debulking hmm. in medical terminology. And uh, she was there from before me and she was still there when I left. So I knew that I had moved on much faster and my oncosurgeon attests to the fact that uh, attitude makes a lot of difference in recovering quickly and right. I was out very quickly. Within five months, I recovered and believe me, it was hell. I would sleep for maybe an hour out of 24 hours because it was so painful because of the trauma that the body had been through. So it was a horrible time physically. But uh, emotionally and mentally, I was tough. I knew I'm going to get down to the bottom of this. So I started doing something which I now call emotional detox, mm. which eventually became a program and is now becoming a book uh, where every day I looked at some incident in my life where I had been hurt, mm. where I was still holding grudges or I was still being bitter. Mm. So I would go down to the garden. Gradually, I was building up my stamina to walk. So I would walk and I would every day address some pain, some hurt mm. and release it using the access tools. Mm. I also implemented something called uh, energy medicine, uh, which is something I was introduced to years ago, but never bothered to look at. And now I wish I had looked at it. I had mm. done it all these years. Maybe I could have averted this, but that's just a maybe. So there's something called a daily energy routine. Uh, which was uh, which is there uh, available on YouTube by Donna Eden. And I started using that daily energy routine, which kind of helps balance the energy. And I started recovering pretty quickly. I started getting my energy back pretty quickly. Within five months, I was I was already on my way out to south of France hmm. to travel. I attended a workshop in uh, Paris and then I went on to south of France for a holiday with my family. And exactly five months after the surgery date, I actually climbed a hill 
Wow. There's a, there's a, there's a village called Ez. Wow. And it's not like trekking or something, but it's still but, a hill yeah, of course, you know, to requires... see this beautiful, you know, uh, a very scenic uh, botanical garden right on top. So you've got to go up. And I didn't think I'll be able to do it with, and I had all my belt and everything because my stomach was still not hundred percent okay. And I actually climbed, <laughs> climbed that hill and got to the top to see that beautiful view. So yeah, these processes really helped me. So the energy medicine is something that you do on yourself. Yes, it's something that you can do on yourself. Uh, access processes are something that people can do for you. You can do it yourself, but when people do it for you, it's like thousand times more effective. Mm. And I am so blessed. I have some amazing uh, friends and family who've all learned this and they would run these processes for me on a daily basis. Mm. So like I have these four friends whom I call my angel and then there's my husband and between the five of them, um, four, four of those definitely, they like on a daily basis, one of them comes home, gives me their time mm. and uh, they run processes for me. And then there were other friends who pitched in from time to time, they would come and everybody took care of me. And then there's my Buddhist family, mm. which chanted for me and, uh, you know, came and encouraged me, prayed with me, studied with me. So I had all of that support system and I got better very quickly. Isn't the support system something that's most important? Very. I was speaking to someone the other day and she said that the first uh, thing she did when she found out that she had cancer was she emailed all her friends. Mm -hmm. And she said, look, I need your help over the next six months. I've got yeah. cancer and I need each of you to take care of me now. Yeah. And she said that really changed how quickly she recovered. It does. Cancer is very often a call for love, very honestly. Mm. See, again, there are two ways of looking at this. Some people will say this is purely physical, physiological, medical or fluke. Mm. And some people like me will say, hey, there's a connection. There mm. can be a connection. Don't don't rule it out. Mm. Okay. Uh, there are connections when, when, especially when your life has been through a lot of trauma, a lot of stress, it's not been a happy life. Uh, the disease gets created in the first place because you're not really enjoying your life. And cancer is something where in access, the first question I was asked was, what are you dying to get out of? Now you'll say, I'm not dying to get out of anything. Mm. I want to live. Mm. But the fact is that your body is not saying it wants to live. The body is dying. Cancer is a terminal disease. And any terminal disease is created because you don't want to live. Mm. You may not know it cognitively, but it is going on somewhere in your subconscious that you're not happy. And uh, that reason for unhappiness very often is love. Mm. Lack of self-love, lack of love from people around mm. you, uh, not nurtured. Breast cancer very often is associated with not being nurtured or, you know, you being there for everybody else, but nobody being there for you. Mm. Mm. Uh, there will be very many reasons why somebody's not there for you. That's right. a different story and right. that can be addressed. And that's what I addressed. And that's how I changed. And I, and I had this beautiful support system that got created and it makes a difference. In fact, I to we, right. that I call, that I have kind of, I can't say launched, but it's something that kind of, uh, what do you say? It kind of germinated. It just showed up in my universe. I to we. So I saw illness starts with I and then there is LLNESS and then there is wellness. 
where there's a W-E and then there is L-L-N-E-S-S. Mm. So the difference in the two is just I and we. Mm. And I saw how I could uh, uh, get back on my feet so much faster because I was not dealing with it alone as an I. Wow, my that's friends, lovely. Yeah. My that's friends lovely. rallied so around beautifully me. beautifully put. Yeah, they just told my husband, you can come to the hospital whenever you want, but we are taking the hospital duty because we know how to run processes and we will run processes for her and that will help her recover faster. So we'd rather have somebody not just sitting there, so to say, doing hospital duty, but somebody who's proactively doing a hospital duty. Mm. And uh, they nurtured me. They took care of me around the clock. My husband has also learned some of the processes and he would pitch in, mm. you know, and without my friends and families, I could not have handled this. So everybody mm. rallied around me. So when that I becomes we, mm. that love and that nurturing comes in, which is basically your life's cry. Mm. That's what your life has been actually crying for. And because it gets that, that illness turns to willness when it becomes I to we. That's, that's how I to we came about for me. Hmm. In fact, there was a, there was this study which was very interesting. which said that they did this study where they found that people that live in communities hmm. are happier, healthier, and uh, live longer. Yeah. As opposed to you know the lives that we live, which is far more isolated. Uh, you know, individuals living alone. Yeah. As opposed to you know joint families, communities, uh, towns where everybody comes together. So I to we, I guess, is about Absolutely. like people coming together. Coming together, uh, but you know, people can come together and... Uh, In a way that's destructive as well. Yes. Yeah. That's what I want to clarify. This is coming together with uh, from a place where you are non-judgmental, mm. where you respect one another, where you cherish one another, where you have each other's back. Which means even if somebody in that circle, in that community is choosing something that is destructive, so to say, and you're aware of it, but they will allow you to choose what you choose, ask you questions about, is this creating something good mm. for you? Do you want to continue with it? And they will have your back irrespective. Having right. your back is not uh, only when you do what I want you to do, that I care for Correct. you, but I'm going to be there irrespective of what choices you mm. make. You know, so I'm talking about that kind of we, not the we which is judgmental, where mm. you decide, you know, you have you eat that. That's wrong. You do that. That's wrong. That lifestyle is wrong. And just keep making each other wrong, because when we make each other wrong, that destroys judgment, destroys. Yeah. And that's what I have learned. So the we that I talk about is we are here for you. Let's be there for each other. We all came to this planet to have fun. Let's do that. You know, so yeah, illness to wellness. That's how it is for me. I to we. Let's be there for each other. Right. What are we wasting our time spending time judging each other, criticizing each other, projecting at each other, not recognizing that that is what destroys cells in the body. I wish I was taught all this in school, but I've learned now that our body is a supremely intelligent uh, entity in its own self. It has its own consciousness. And my body had always been telling me to look at something via the migraines that I used to have, the constant colds that I used to have, then it became backaches. You know, all sort of stuff kept occurring. It's mm. just that I kept treating it symptomatically, medically. Pop a pill, feel mm. better, keep moving on. Never thought that body is giving me information. Mm. So body locks up 
everything that is projected by people around you. Body locks up everything that you think you feel. Mm. Now, when I relate this to Buddhism, every thought, feeling, every word, every deed is actually the cause I'm making. And simultaneously, the effect is getting lodged in my life. Mm. And the effect will show up when the situations are perfect for it to show up. So every bitterness, every hurt, every anger that I'd stored in response to somebody saying something to me or criticizing me or abusing me, that's what was now showing up as a disease in my body. Mm. So when I look at the we, it is that we that upholds one mm. another, that mm. cherishes one another, treasures one another. That's the we I'm talking about. And that's a healing we. Right. So coming coming back to 2017, I okay. want to go back. Okay. Is that uh, when you first uh, went in because you had some symptoms of pain, uh, were there any other symptoms leading up to that which... No, nothing. Possibly should have paid attention to or... No, that stomach ache, that, uh, that flatulence that I was going through was the signal that my body was giving me very strongly. And that but you said went on for a couple of months. Yeah, like August 2017 till Jan 2018. And I that, just kept addressing it as gas. And that af often happens, no? I mean, a lot of times you feel like there's discomfort and pain and uh, you go to the doctor and the doctor says, no, it's nothing. And, you know, it's just gas or yeah. it's just acidity. Yeah. And sometimes it turns out to be you know, it can be in some cases also cancer or something which is really, really bad. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, what, what, how do you, how do you, you know, is there, there a is, way there that is, you can sort of... There is no hard and fast way. But now, in hindsight, I can tell you that one way is to ask questions because questions create awareness. When you conclude, and this is a mistake I made despite having... Uh, been practicing access tools for a bit by then. And the first thing we're taught is that questions create awareness. Mm. Uh, the way to change anything is to start asking questions. So, you know, what you've got to ask, what is this? What's going on here? And be willing to listen to what your body says. Mm. So, um, I guess I didn't ask enough questions. And uh, we just concluded that it's just gas. And... Um, yeah, that's what I'm trying to understand is that what is it that we can do differently so that we can actually catch a disease I much suggest, before that? I would suggest regular checkups. And sometimes even regular checkups don't really catch it. Very honestly. Right. I mean, that's my, I may be wrong. Right. Medically, there may be some ways, but uh, I would recommend regular checkups. That's one thing I was very careless about. Mm. Despite having had all these experiences, I think that stems from the fact that I never treasured my body enough. Mm. Okay, again, it mm. comes from there that I didn't value my body. Somewhere deep down, I really didn't want to live, did I? And uh, so you don't take those actions, even if somewhere deep down you know you need to, but you will not because you're so hell-bent on killing mm. yourself. Mm. So, so there is no one way. But yes, you can be alert. Uh, get your checkups done. If there's anything going on, don't just dismiss it. If it's something that doesn't get taken care of by whatever the doctor has prescribed, there is something else going on. Mm. So you need to look at it. So like in my case, because it was recurring, that means 
thankfully said, hey, you know what? I think you need to go get this check. This is going on a bit too much. Right. So, yeah, you need to get a little investigative when something is not getting resolved, uh, you know, in the few days time that it should ideally get it resolved in. Right. So that's one thing I would say for sure. Please do your checkups. Right. So Don't to, be casual is yeah, all I'm saying. Yeah. Don't be casual about your body. If your body is giving you these symptoms, means you need to look at something. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and also nowadays we live in a time where most things are attributed to stress. Yep. So you might have some pain or you might have a headache or you might not be feeling very well for a long time and <gasps> doctors will tell you it's stress. Yeah. So everything gets attributed to stress now. Yeah. But if one is willing to be a little more aware, then you can catch few things. Like what happened for me was, so 30th Jan was the surgery and then I got out of the hospital and all of that. By about August, September, I started feeling that pain again. Hmm. And I told my doc, I said, there's something wrong. But my cancer markers were normal. I said, there's nothing wrong. Don't worry about it. It must be just, you know, because you've been hmm. through so much surgery, there's adhesions and they'll be healing. And that's why the pain and all that. But somewhere I knew there's something wrong. Anyway, I agreed. I said, okay, you know, they know better. But then it continued. And this voice in my head kept, like this awareness kept knocking. There's something wrong, something mm. wrong. Again, I went back. By this time, the marker had just gone very minimally out of normal range. Mm. So uh, he said that uh, nothing to panic. It's very minimal. Even if there is something, the scan will not catch it. And normally scans are not advised, obviously, for medical reasons. Very Over and over again. Right. So I get that. So I got that logic and I said, okay, we'll wait. He said, even if there is something, it'll not get caught also because it'll be too minor. So we said, okay. Then when November came in, there was a sense of panic in me. Like now I knew I cannot not look at this any longer. So I then again went back to my brother-in-law and said, listen, you know what? I know I understand the logic I'm being given. But it's not appealing to me. I'm beginning to worry. It's beginning to really bother me. And I don't want to just create it from the place of thought. So let's just investigate this. I know the scan time is not due till Jan, hmm. but Jan end. But can we like do this now? So then he and stepped in. And at this in. point, uh, what were the symptoms that you were feeling? The just pain. that pain. Just the pain. The same place right. again. Right. So I said, there's something wrong. And just some, you know, you know, hmm. it's just that we've, We've never learned to listen to our awareness. But this time I knew. I had paid big prices by now. And I knew I had to listen to this awareness. Because now I recognize when it's my awareness. Mm. Right? So I said, okay, I've got to do this. And then again, we scheduled some tests. And this time it was way out of the marker. Like way as in it was not drastic, but it was much above the normal range. And they said, okay, time to do the scan. And when we did the scan we realized that it had recurred in the stomach hmm. and now it had gone into the lungs as well. God. Okay. Now everyone is shocked. We didn't expect this. This is very atypical. We are shocked. We thought you'll have at least another two, three hours before this could recur because it is a recurring kind of a tumor, which, which is what I was told I have, but we didn't think it'll recur so soon. Okay. So now you didn't think like that. You didn't anticipate it. But here I am stuck with this. Mm. Now, this time around, 
I wasn't that courageous. Hmm. This time round, I said, how much more do I have to go through this? How much more? And uh, I did lose my sense of courage a bit. But then, uh, again, the, the survivor means, okay, this is it. Now what? Let's, let's go forward. And uh, then again, you know, we, we, we knew that we have to do, at this time I had to go through chemotherapy and uh, we got uh, an oncologist on board, uh, took advice and uh, gave us, he gave me a couple of options. I don't want to bitch about this, but I feel that um, I wasn't given appropriate advice in terms of the protocol by which I can undergo chemotherapy. It may be that I didn't ask the right questions. It may be because I didn't do my research and I'm not one of those people who does research. Mm. I don't go crazy on Google, okay? Because there's so much information out there. We are not doctors. We've not been right. medically trained and right. I don't want to complicate my life and make myself scared about something that I don't need to be really scared about and then create it with my own thoughts. So I'm not somebody who really does research. Mm. And I didn't ask, I guess, I didn't ask questions because I was told by the doctor, I mean, I was given the impression that it was me who didn't ask for mm. it. Okay. Uh, I was told that there'll be four chemo cycles and then we will review and then we will see uh, what is to be done. Typical protocol is eight cycles, but we will review after four cycles. So somewhere my husband and I understood that after four cycles, there's hope that this will all be done. Yeah. And the hope in you wants that, right? right. Who wants to of go course. through chemotherapy? And uh, I also had a lot of points of views about chemotherapy, mind you, because it hadn't saved both my parents. Mm. So I mm. wasn't also pro-chemotherapy. Mm. However, I knew that uh, there was no way that uh, I will be able to get away from, by, this. from this chemotherapy. It'll kill my family for sure. And I cannot guarantee them that by doing only alternate healing, I will survive. Mm. I don't have guarantees. Mm. Right. And no alternate healing practice guarantees you anything. So it was a very tough call for me to take, first of all, doing chemotherapy. Anyway, so I was told chemotherapy via IV line, via your veins in the hand, uh, which you come into the hospital in daycare. And then rest of the month you do oral chemotherapy, which is tablets. Or the other option is twice a month you get admitted. You have a port. In, uh, put in your uh, body and through the port you can take uh, the chemotherapy drug twice a month three days hospitalization each month now I have a 13 year old who's actually been pretty fabulous and strong through it all this few years mm. but I also knew that me being in hospital six days a month at all, two different times was not something she could have handled mm even though she's a very brave child and she's seen me through my massive surgery in 2018, somewhere I knew this was not an option. So I went ahead and when my chemotherapy started via the IV line through my hand, it was sheer hell. It was torture. The drug burnt up my arm so badly, I couldn't be touched. I couldn't even have fabric touching my arm for the next eight, 10 days. It was like so excruciatingly painful. And the best part is I wasn't prepared for it. I wasn't told that this can be a side effect if you take chemotherapy 
via the arm. But they didn't tell you any of the side effects that were possible? I was told that there will be some side effects, but I was told about this one in particular. So it came as a shocker to me. But what were the side effects that they told you could happen? Uh, nausea, hmm. but that can be controlled. Uh, hair loss, but not too much is what I was told. Uh, uh, constipation hmm. um, is something I was told, but that was it. And uh, so I kind of took this very badly. Very honestly, uh, the physical torture killed me. Hmm. And I went into a depression. And plus, at the same time, I was on this nutritional plan where I had been starved of sugar for a while. So I think combination of this going bust in terms of physical pain. And I had had a little massive pain in Jan with that whole surgery. So it was not like I was new to pain. Right. And I had handled that without painkillers. Because even if I took a painkiller, it never helped. So why waste your time with painkillers? I Netflixed my way through it, very honestly. <laughs> I would divert my mind and I would watch Netflix and stay off, you know, like I would divert my mind from pain. So I was pretty good with handling pain. But this one killed me. And I went into this place where I said, I'd rather die. I don't want to do any more chemotherapy. I'd rather die. And I think that tortured my family so much. This was right after the first chemotherapy? Right after the first chemotherapy in Jan. And it was hell. And uh, my doctor took my attitude very badly. I said, this is not about you. This is about me. Because I refused to converse. I, I went into my second chemotherapy with the attitude, you guys are forcing me into this chemotherapy. I'd rather die and not mm. do this chemotherapy. So mm. I went in, I was howling, which is like very unlike me. I was howling and I was depressed and I just wanted to die. Mm. I didn't want to go through. I said, I'd rather die. How much ever I have to live, I will live. But I don't want to do chemotherapy. But obviously, again, it's a situation where circumstances force you and you've got to go through it. And my doctor took it very badly. And it was like so many people go through it. So what's the big deal with you? It was that kind of a <laughs> attitude, so to <laughs> say. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I perceive it wrong. But that's how I felt. I felt alone. I felt unsupported. I felt lack of empathy. I felt cheated that I wasn't told and prepared in advance for this kind of thing. Maybe if I was mentally prepared, I would have handled it better. But now that I know, I just wasn't prepared to go through mm. it. Mm. I just felt that I couldn't handle it. And there was nobody to sit you down and take you through that whole process. So anyway, I went through two cycles and the third one was the worst because my veins had collapsed and they had to use a pump to force the chemo into God. my veins. And I was howling. I'd rather die in that moment. Okay. So I know that a lot of people go through this. I know they bear a lot of pain. Okay. I'm not the only one. Mm. It's like saying to women, oh, so many women go through childbirth and they go through the pain. What's the big deal? But that is just that because somebody lesser, goes through doesn't mean you, you, uh, you kind of diminish the person by saying, you know, why can't you handle it? So mm. many people handle it. I think that's a very, that's very crude mm. way. There's no, uh, there's no empathy. Right. I'm not asking for sympathy, but all I'm saying is be there for me or advise me, guide me. Such support systems don't exist. Maybe it exists in some hospitals, but some mm. hospitals it doesn't exist. So that was hell. And then I said, you know what? This is not working for me. And 
thanks to the access processes, I could deal with the pain better, but it was still horrible. I said, this is not working for me. Something's got to give, something's got to change here. And then just before the fourth cycle, you know, before every cycle you go to consult, you mm. do your tests and then they adjust the dose. Just before the fourth cycle, when we went for the fourth cycle consult, and we said, okay, so this is it, right? The fourth one, they said, no, you still have to go through four. We will run tests, we will review, but you still have to go through four. And that's when we realized that we had misunderstood the whole thing. And then we were told that we hadn't understood it correctly. Mm. So I told my husband, I said, was it just me who understood it this way that it could have ended in four cycles and which is why I agreed to go through the four via IV because I didn't want my child to go through the hell. Secondly, with the port, there comes other complications. So I, so I was advised that it's better to do via hand than via port. So did I get this wrong? Did I hear it wrong? So the doctors told you it's, it's possibly better to do it through IV as opposed to the port? Well, they, he said, I gave you both the options. You didn't choose that. I said, you gave me the option of port via six days of hospitalization or via hand, no hospitalization. I didn't want hospitalization. So I chose the hand. Hmm. But had I been given an option that I can do port and daycare, I would have chosen that for sure. Also, they, they didn't tell you exactly what's going to happen with the chemo. No. The side effects were... No. You know, the, not all. Ex the extent of the side effects yeah. were obviously not. But then what can be said is everybody reacts to it differently. Mm. So how can they get, tell you all the hundred types of symptoms that can happen? Mm. You've got to figure it out for yourself. So that's where I was. And I said, OK, I'm not doing this. And I'm definitely not doing this with this person. I'm sorry, I need to change my onco. Sorry, do you remember mm. which medication they gave you at this point of time? I, I don't remember the names 100 percent. Right. I kind of uh, chose not to deal with the medication bit. Mm -hmm. My husband handles all that. He'll give you these answers pit pat. <laughs> but I do know that I, my the tablets were Zaloda. But uh, there was something else, some plat, something. Again, uh, the, the drug is not standard, right? The drug is like, there are certain kinds of drugs. Depending on what your body can receive based on the tests, the drug is determined. So from a drug perspective, there was no complaint. Hmm. That person was bang on. We also got consults from US and, you know, everything was all right. It was just the way it was uh, dealt with hmm. is what I have a point about. Okay, so anyway, then I said, I need a change. Hmm. I need another oncologist. And uh, my brother-in-law gave me three names. And energetically, I just went with this one particular person. I said, this doctor. Hmm. And same day, uh, we arranged a visit with him and uh, I loved him. He was nice. He knew where I'm coming from. I also had very badly damaged nerves. So I can't touch cold things. My feet hurt. Nerves get jangled. So for a lot of these things I was going through and there was no uh, care for that. It's like, okay, it's all part of the side effect. What can we do about it? You know? Right. But this gentleman kind of was more aware and gave me certain things to deal with all of these side effects uh, and immediately suggested the port and the whole chemo plan, the drug remaining the same. The dosage also was adjusted because they realized that I was being a bit overdosed. Mm. Uh, so all of that was adjusted for me. And finally, my chemotherapy process became a very smooth process. Uh, however, body still kept deteriorating. And this was how many times a, a month? So it's a three- The same protocol, uh, which same is protocol. that you get hospitalized in- One day daycare and then two weeks of oral chemotherapy, which is tablets. So two weeks on, one week off. Mm. So it's a three week cycle. So two weeks chemotherapy is on, one week 
your body's given a break to recover, uh, get your immune back up, then again you go in for your cycle, uh, start of the cycle. So one day is complete heavy dose of what is given to you via IV line and then oral. So that's the protocol I maintained. I did eight chemo cycles. And um, at the end of it, uh, in August, this uh, like last month, I was told that there is no activity. The fourth stage situation, which was the case in Jan, hmm. uh, no hope, no cure. We can just control. There's nothing we can promise you. Yeah. So in Jan, they said there's no hope. And- Actually, in Jan, that particular oncologist didn't even tell me where I am, what stage I'm at. However, I kind of knew. But when I changed my oncologist, he was very clear. He says, this is where you are. It's lovely, especially when the patient doesn't have a problem knowing. It's nice to be upfront when we're asking you. So this that person wasn't upfront, but this gentleman was very upfront. And he said, it's fourth stage. Hmm. There is no cure for this. And this particular tumor, uh, there's no. it's very atypical. There is no cure. The best we can do is control it. So basically, I was given no hope. However, he did recommend uh, talking to uh, UPenn for looking at clinical trials because mm. that's where clinical trials originate. Mm. So my brother-in-law, uh, my sister's husband and my sister who are in U.S., they initiated contacts for me and uh, we did have conversation and we sent in reports, etc. And this is, again, having a gorgeous family mm. which loves you and takes care of you comes into play. So they, my brother, my sister, their respective spouses, families, everybody's like rallied around me. And uh, so my brother-in-law arranged a conversation with the doctor there and we realized that there is no clinical trial also available. And I was not even eligible for immunotherapy. Like everybody said, mm. go for it, go get immunotherapy done. Yeah, sure, good, good thought. But not everybody is mm. eligible for that. So I was told I'm not eligible. So that was also out. So there was really nothing that mm. could be done. So I was totally, totally, totally on my own in terms of, I don't know where my body's headed. And this is where that question, what are you dying to get out of health? And the co-founder of Access Consciousness, Dr. Dane here, who's been an amazing, uh, amazingly sweet and has been uh, helping me and so have all my other friends and Access helped me. He kept facilitating me from time to time. He would have chats with me. He says, Smriti, what are you dying to get off? I said, Dean, I want to live. I mean, I finally have a life that I love. Why would I want to die? Saying, what are you dying to get out of? I said, no, Dean, I want to live. And I, I just thought I want to live. But then I said, you know what? My body is not congruent. Mm. I may be saying I want to live, but my body is deteriorating, deteriorating. And then I said, okay, this is it. I mean, I can die and I can live. What do I want? I want to live. Mm. Now, what do I do? How do I reconcile my desire with my body? Mm. Because I'm not congruent. My body is very clearly showing me it's dying because my platelets had gone low. I was basically collapsing. And then I said, okay, what have I studied? all these years. I mean, Mm. I've done a lot of emotional work, but there's obviously something that's missing. So what is it? So back to basics, cause and effect, simultaneity of cause and effect. Somewhere there's a cause that is creating the effect of the death of my body. What is that? So I kept being in question. What is it that's creating the death of my body? Where is it that I'm dying to 
get out of this life, but I have not yet acknowledged. What is that? And as I continued to pray and to ask these questions, in March, I had a breakthrough. I was doing, I had uh, booked a session with a gentleman in US for Bach remedies. Some people call it Bach, Bach, I call it Bach, B-A-C-H. Hmm. These are flower remedies, hmm. right? And I had studied it, but I had not really used it. So I booked a session through a, another friend of mine. And uh, as we were doing the session, this memory came up. And this memory was about the time when I tried to kill myself at the age of 14. And a memory that I thought I had worked with and I had reconciled because I had really changed my relationships. Mm. And, you know, I had beautiful relationships by now. So I thought everything had been addressed. But this memory came up and I realized, oh, my God, what was it that triggered it? Mm. I had completely forgotten the exact reason why what had triggered it. It had like I'd forgotten about it completely. It came up and I realized that I'm still furious. I'm angry. I have rage within me. Mm. And I was still blaming that particular person for it all and for my life being all messed up. That person was responsible. So I realized that I was still holding that blame game. I was still holding that anger and that rage. And I said, and of course, this person helped me go through it. And I said, this is it. This is why my body is still wanting to die because that 14 year in me still doesn't think she's worthy of living mm. and she needs to die. The mm. body needs to die. So I worked with it. And after so many years, I'm 51 at this time, right? So after so many years, I finally felt free because I had no judgment left in my heart. I had no regrets, nothing, no anger, no pain. I was free. I was free. I felt like a lightness. And then I said to my body, I said, body, I am so sorry that you had to go through so much for me to awaken to this place where I could finally face what cause was creating this. Where was I holding on to unconsciousness, mm. which was not allowing me to live? And the body is so beautiful. It has put itself through so much torture, I would say, just so that I, as the being, which is an infinite being, can wake up to all of those places where I've been making unconscious choices. Mm. So in a class that I had attended in Jan, the facilitator had said, Healing is a side effect of consciousness. So I had been looking at where am I being unconscious? Unconscious means everywhere I have denied that I'm an infinite being, which mm. has endless choices and made choices where I've made myself powerless, choiceless. I'm judging myself, destroying myself. I'm judging others. I'm destroying, you know, everything. And I'm not being part of oneness, which is what this whole existence is all about. So everywhere I've made all those unconscious choices. We don't make it purposely. Sure, we make it from a place of unawareness, right? right? So I have made a lot of unconscious choices, which I had been correcting over the five years from 2012 till now. But obviously there was still something. And this thing about healing is side effect of consciousness. The day you can choose consciousness, mm. you will heal. So that's what I chose. And I saw this. So I healed that. I let go. And I was free. And then I told my body, I said, body, I'm really grateful for this awakening and for this freedom that mm. I have attained. I'm free. Choice is yours. And this is a question that Dane had asked me. He said, 
have you told your body that you want to live? I said, really? I have to tell my body that? I mean, I didn't think about it. So have you asked your body whether it wants to live with you? I mean, you may want to live, but does your body want to live with you? Well, I don't think my body wanted to live with me because the way I treated it, I was so obsessed with my work and, you know, everything. I drive myself hard and I wouldn't stop to take that rest. And mm. that was one big call that you need to rest also, mm. sweetheart. You need to take care of yourself also. But where did that, does that come from? You don't want to take care of yourself. Why? Because you don't have that sense of love for yourself. Right. So you drive yourself. So I made promise to my body. I said, sweetheart, I would love for you to live with me. I mean, I love you. Huh. I'm sorry I've abused you. If if you choose to live, I promise you we'll have fun. Hmm. I'll take care of you. I will, we will do fun things. <laughs> okay. But if you choose to die, we'll go. No problem. Really very grateful that you've woken me up to the places where I was holding resentment uh -oh. and hurt. And after that, I went for a workshop to Delhi with Dane and he facilitated me further and that was my life changing. I knew I was free. I kept getting happier. Body kept deteriorating. Platelets started dropping. Chemo had to be stopped. I didn't have energy to walk even two minutes. This was in April, is it? In April. Huh. But there came a point in May when I was in immense pain. My stomach would hurt even if I ate. Like uh, This was going on for a while, but now it came to like a head. Even if I ate one bite... My stomach would pain like crazy. And there was this one night when I just felt like jumping out of the window because of the pain, because nobody had any cure. The tests that were done the next day said, there's no reason why your stomach should be paining. So I said, what is this? I can't live with so much pain. So the chemos had really helped those, the, the eight chemos that you did now yeah. had made you cancer free again? So uh, cancer free happened in August. This hmm. was in April, Feb to May, my stomach would pain a lot. Chemos were on, but chemo had to be stopped in April because mm. the platelets had dropped very badly. I was literally like collapsing, sinking. And I said, now the, the pain I can't handle, what is it that I need to do here? Mm. And then the tests show that there's no reason why I should have a stomach ache. So it's not explainable. So I sat down with my body. I said, body, what is required? Now, this is where I'm saying, sometimes medical team may not be able to give you any solutions because medically there's nothing wrong with you. But ask your body. So I asked my body, okay, body, what is required here? Because either we are living, we are living well. Otherwise, let's go. We are done. But we are not living with this pain. And this awareness came that there were these 14 other medicines I took besides my six chemo tablets every day uh, where I got the sense that go off 12 of them. And in terms of food, where I had been eating very restricted mm. food, so to say, mm. I decided that I'm going to eat whatever I feel like. Mm. That's it. So I messaged my dog. He was on holiday that time. I said, I'm discontinuing these. And of course, I also got a opinion from my brother-in-law and my gastro doc I said, I feel that this medication is kind of upsetting my lining. Mm. And so the stomach hurts every time I put any food inside. Mm. It can't tolerate it. Mm. So it's okay. Let's wean off this 12 medicine. So they kind of concurred with me. And I just went off those 12 tablets. 
and I started eating what I pleased. Hmm. Now, whether it was sugar, whether it was fried food, I didn't care. I said, the little that I'm eating, I'm going to eat what I want. Hmm. I don't care what the nutritionists say. I live, I live, I die, I die, but I am going to be happy. Hmm. That's it. Hmm. So I started eating whatever I wanted. I went off that medication. Within a few days, my taste buds came up because chemo also takes your taste buds away, like your mouth tastes horrible. And taste buds came back. I started enjoying my food. I started feeling like a normal person. Hmm. My stomach pain went away. And by the time my doctor came back in May end, my platelets were up. Hmm. My chemo was resumed. Hmm. And then I was due to travel in July for a workshop and a holiday which now I had I had gotten shaken with this pain. I said, uh, but now that when I went for chemo, he said, you know, whatever you're doing is working. Stay with that. Mm. That way my doc, this doc is like fabulous. Mm. He he understands these dynamics of mind-body connection. He said, just do what you're doing. It's working very well. And you apply for your visa. I will ensure that you travel. Mm. I will support you. You will travel. I said, you sure about this? After having gone through what I've gone through, he says, I'm sure. And in the middle of my seventh chemo, I went to Paris for a workshop. After that, I went to Italy for a holiday. I came back, immediately did my eighth chemo cycle. And after that, we did the tests in August. And that's when I was told, you're clear. Everything is normal. Tumors still exist. Right. They've shrunk. They exist, but they're not active. Hmm. So now I'm on maintenance chemo. Mm. which is just oral tablets. And then I asked him, tell me one thing. How long do I have to do this maintenance? He says, this is all your life. Like how diabetic medicine all your life? This all your life. I said, what rubbish? Mm. I'm not going to do this Mm. all my life. What will it take for me to get off it? He said, that's when you have the stage called NED. I said, what's NED? He said, no evidence of disease, which means no tumors at all. I said, okay, I'll get that. (laughs) So now I'm like, I've got to get to that NED. But I'm so grateful that this fourth stage, which, you know, you tend to like, uh, gosh, it's the end of the world. Mm. I've gone past it and Mm. I've turned it around. And one thing I asked my doctor, I said, how much does the attitude of the person help in recovering from a fourth stage, no hope stage, to this stage where you are, so to say, Mm. clean, cured? Mm. He's saying, well, 50% uh, of the battle is won if this is the attitude. Mm. And then he said, no, let me correct myself. 80% of it Mm. is because of the spirit, the attitude. Mm. I said, yeah. And that's where I decided this is what I want to talk about Mm. to people. Mm. That fourth stage cancer or any illness, there's nothing to be scared. Mm. But how you will deal with it, with what attitude you will handle it, will make the difference. Right. And I think that's what has played a big role in my life. And I've kind of boiled it down to a few elements that I used or that worked for me. And that's what I am now sharing with people on this platform that I've created called I2V. When I say platform right now, it's not even a formal setup. Mm. It's just a WhatsApp group that I created for anybody who wanted to know what I did. This is not, I didn't have a miraculous cure. So if somebody wants to uh, join the WhatsApp group, how did they go about it? So I just floated a link on, you know, a few groups and I didn't know that it'll like, like people will jump on. So we have some 230 odd people right now on board that group. And not all of them are unwell, but they're also caregivers. Mm. And then there are people who are just curious uh, because 
the lessons, so to say, I don't know, the awareness that I've had can contribute to somebody not to, can they can avoid the pitfalls. Sure. Like next time somebody is getting all uh, angry and wants to be a victim, if they can think about what I have to say, hmm. they'll choose not to hold on to that. Right. And let it go because right. that can create a disaster in your body. So why go there in the first place? So if I wanted to join the WhatsApp group, how would I go about this? How would you go about this? Is Right now, you would have to connect with me personally mm. and I could give you the link and you could get onto it. But uh, going forward, we want to create a little bit of a website and mm. uh, I'm seeking help from my friends to put it all together like a formal program. So I've come up with a program where part of it is a gift and part of it is a paid program mm. where I share these elements that I used mm. and you can use for your recovery but if you want a daily handholding and you want the physical body processes which help me, then that come as a priced package right. where I have a team of people I'm tying up with all over India and they will come and run processes for you. So they'll come to your house and they'll run the process. They'll come to your house or you can come to where they are because sometimes cancer patients don't have the energy to move out also. So case to case scenario, mm -hmm. we'll work with it and everybody's requirement will be di different depending on what they have. Like I don't have uh, as many side effects as many people have. I don't have patches on my skin. My skin didn't go dark. I didn't have all the hair fall. I did have neuropathy, uh, wherein my nerves got jangled, like I said, but it's not as bad as some people I know mm. who can't even like put their foot down or anything. So I've not had most of the side effects thanks to these processes being run by my friends and my husband. So I would like to bring that to hospitals. Mm. So that's what I'm doing. I want to take it to hospitals, doctors, individuals, that mm. there's a better way. So to deal with it in a very different way. Right. Uh, there's a few specific questions that sure. I wanted to ask you. Mm. Was that in 2012 and 2017, mm. were there any specific sort of lifestyle changes that you made, especially in 2012? In 2012, I did make some changes out of fear for some time, hmm. like go off sugar and you know all of that dietary changes, but I actually went down the hill after some time. I didn't stay with it. But you consulted somebody on this? Yes, nutritionists. Yes, I did. But I didn't stick with it. And why was that? Somewhere deep down, did I care about my body? Hmm. So, no, I didn't stick with it, very honestly. I went back to my old ways of not looking after me, not resting. But what is the specific sort of changes they asked you to make? Was there... So, the one big one is no sugar. Right. And what I know now is anything you do out of fear hmm. is not really something that really helps. Hmm. If you want to make changes in your food, by all means, consult a nutritionist. I'm not saying that they're wrong or bad, but your body knows best what it requires. Our problem is we don't know how to listen to our bodies. Even when our body is telling us, don't take that next spoon of food, hmm. but we will shove that in our, into our body. Hmm. Why? Because I love that particular cake or that pastry hmm. or hmm. that ice cream or that, you know, bhajia or whatever that is. Hmm. So we don't listen. So do listen to your body. Do consult nutritionists. They can give you some wonderful tips. But at the same time, 
listen to your body. Just because the nutritionist said you've got to have this doesn't necessarily mean that your body really requires it. Mm. But of course, they are far more. They've done research, they've studied, and they can guide you. Mm. But do combine it with your body awareness is what I'll mm. say. Mm. I don't say chemo is bad. No, chemo is not bad. I don't say medical advice is bad. No, it's not bad. Know uh, that you have to look at it from both places. So yes, I should have made some lifestyle changes in terms of rest more, look after my body more, which I didn't do. But then I think somewhere deep down, like I said, there was another game plan going on. Right, right. right. Which kept me from sticking to it. So 2017, in fact, I was already back to nutrition, starved of sugar, like I told you. So mm. I did make those kind of changes. Mm. I exercised a little more, mm. but that was it. But the main lifestyle change I had to make was to let go of the bitterness, mm. which I didn't hundred mm. percent. Mm. So that we do not think as a lifestyle change. We think of it as a physical thing, like food, workout, rest, massages. That's not the only lifestyle change you. You don't need think to about make. the emotional change we need to make. You don't think about the emotional change you need to make. And somewhere, if that's what's driving you, none of this works. So today, if I eat or I don't eat something, it's not from the fear that I will get cancer. Mm. It's from the place of love. Mm. That what does my body require? Mm. So it's from the place of cherishing my body. Mm rather than from the place of fear and that's a very big difference right then if you will have that piece of chocolate it will not harm your body mm. Mm. but if you do it from the place of fear it will end up harming you because your point of view creates your reality mm. Mm. so if your point of view is that this is what will create this you will create it right so yeah lifestyle changes were required but i didn't make them sorry <laughs> <laughs> But now I have made them. Now you're making all the lifestyle changes. Is it? Yes, I have made lifestyle changes for sure. I rest more. Mm. I sleep more. I've learned to say no. Mm. Like uh, I would never say no to people whenever they required something of me, even if it meant that I was tired, exhausted, but I can't. I, I'll still do. Mm. I'll bend backwards. I'll kill mm. myself. Now I don't. So mm. someone may not like that. No. But that's okay. Right. I say no. Right. Like last night, I was supposed to go for a birthday and I would have loved to go. But I was really tired. I had attended a full day workshop and a meeting after that. And I said, no, I'm tired. I'm sorry. I'll make it up to you. You know, but tonight, no, I'm so sorry. Mm. Yeah. So I've learned to say no. I think that's a big lifestyle change for me. <laughs> To put myself in the equation, mm. that's a lifestyle change. Mm. To make myself a priority, that's mm. a lifestyle change. So now I don't look at lifestyle change only as the physical aspect. Right. Yeah. Also, during this time, were there any sort of books that you read, something that stayed with you and, you know, really sort of influenced how you approach the treatment? I constantly attend workshops every month. Mm. So I can't say it's one book. Mm. I think it's a culmination of everything I have read and every workshop I have attended and largely what I've learned in Access mm. and what I have read in my Buddhist books. Mm. So mainly it's the Access books and the Buddhist books combined that have uh, given me a direction, that have given me insights, that have given me the courage, the strengths. And all of that. So really, 
there's no one book i would say sure but if somebody was starting off what is the book that you would recommend to start off with in terms of non buddhist books uh, there was one book that really what would i look at so there's this book called supernatural the supernatural by dr joe dispenza hmm. which gives you great insights there's bruce lipton his talks greg braden's talks uh, on the youtube you find a lot of stuff yeah joe dispenza i would look at that his book supernatural and he's got many other books hmm. uh, that's very 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 good book i think it gave me a good direction as to where to go because i learned of him having had an accident mm. and him having healed his entire vertebra with just mind i would also read books like uh, donna eden's energy medicine there's actually a book mm. and she has a lot of videos mm. on youtube like she'll give you like little exercises to just balance your energy and you can turn around there's another book called the touch of healing mm. which is a jinchen jitsu book which doesn't address critical stuff but it does address more like day to day stuff mm. that that that's one book i would recommend the other thing that i wanted to touch upon was that you know we spoke about how wish that the doctor had a little more empathy yeah right yeah what else do you think that medically you would have done differently i would have probably taken second opinions mm. in 2012 and in 2018 so you didn't take any second opinions at all no i didn't and why was that i'm someone who trusts very easily i hadn't developed the muscle of listening to awareness <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i would take second opinions if that was the sense i got it doesn't mm. mean you have to take second opinions every time mm. but uh, when your sense is telling you take a second opinion take it mm. no matter what your family is saying because as by and large when you go through somebody uh very often we go through you know someone 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 mm. know someone and so mm. go to this doctor and you know is very good i'm not saying that the doctor is not good mm. it's just that is the doctor good for you right all right i'm by by no means i like to clarify this i'm not saying that that doctor was bad right doctor is fantastic doctor is very good however it wasn't the doctor for me mm. okay mm. so when your sense is telling you take a second opinion take that second opinion mm. is what i would say very strongly today mm. medically i would do a little bit of study of on food myself mm. and see what works for me and what doesn't work for my body mm. so i would do a lot of study about getting to know me mm. and that i think uh, kind of contributes to any medical treatment that you will get it will support you much better so do a little bit of study of your own do a little bit of research of your own that doesn't mean you go nuts and crazy and mm. because what happens is when you go to the net right even the diseases you don't have you think you have correct i mean if you go to the net then everybody is yeah but do like basic i would say do basic study in terms of food how does food really contribute to our body mm. do a little bit of study on physiology hmm. like how does our system really work we don't realize how what uh, what uh, puts load on the kidney hmm. what puts load on the liver we just hmm. make choices in food and beverages without realizing how much this body of mine is having to go through hmm. so i would highly recommend a you know a, a little study on physiology hmm. to just understand how beautifully your body functions maybe then we'll respect our bodies a little better and not do half the things that we do hmm. 
at least me. I'm I'm talking for myself. No, no, absolutely. Right. So I would do that. Study a little bit, and which is what I've had to do. Right. Because now, when you don't have a gallbladder, suddenly you realize, oh my God, what does the gallbladder do? Mm. Up till now, one didn't know what was the gallbladder's function. Right. What does the spleen do? So now I have more appreciation. Now that I have mm. lost those organs, I have more appreciation. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Like, and there was never there was never a time when you thought that maybe I should go outside India to get treated. We did look at that. Huh. Like I said, we did talk to Upen, and my sister was very clear that listen, if we need to go abroad to do this, let's do it. Hmm. But there was no option for me to begin with, and and we also have a cousin who's a doctor in US, and he said whatever treatment you're getting here is wonderful. So it was not that the treatment was bad Correct. or wrong. But uh, what we could have gone abroad for was maybe the clinical trials. But mm. then in that case, I was told that there is no clinical trial for my case, so I didn't. And I still have that option open, but uh, I don't feel that I need to. At least at this point, I'm I'm very mm. happy with the treatment I'm getting here. Mm. And my doctor is one of those who has himself uh, studied and practiced uh, in US in a leading uh, cancer hospital. and he's very on board with if i hmm. need something outside of india he will guide me to it at this point of time i don't feel the need i think we are pretty well equipped here right and there will be certain cases where there is nothing here and you do need to go where a treatment like that is available but i'm not there yet i mean i i'm happy here right so well thank you so much thank you so much for being with us and this really has been such an enriching and enlightening session for me as well <laughs> thank you The last thing that uh, I'd like to ask you before we finish the session is that what is it that you'd like to leave people with? What I'd like to leave people with is uh, do not view your illness as a scary or a bad or a wrong thing. Okay, it's nothing to be scared of. It's not a bad thing. It's just a wake-up call. Mm. It's a wake-up call for you to be able to see. what changes you need to make in your life mm. it could be lifestyle changes it could be inner changes it could be something that you need to let go of but places where you have chosen something at an unconscious level and now it needs to be looked at so mm. your body is only waking you up and asking you to take a look at your life mm. it could be like i said physical level inner level whatever that may be take a look that's what it's inviting you to so don't be scared of it mm. receive it and it's not acceptance but just receive it mm. without any judgment when you're willing to receive an illness with no point of view no judgment then you can have an awareness of what is required but if you've already decided that it's horrible mm. or it's bad you will not be able to have that awareness of the change you now need to make mm. the second thing i would say is you are not a victim life doesn't happen to you you created mm. i know it's hard to believe you can say why how can i choose cancer but somewhere i have made that choice like i said it's unconscious but i have made the choice mm. to have a disease which is terminal which means somewhere deep down i don't want to live so it's not that i'm a victim mm. it's a choice mm. so look at okay i made this choice in some moment you know you may have been drunk i i say i may have been drunk in that mm. time whatever you may laugh it off but i made that choice somewhere today what can i do what would i now like to choose just because i chose death at one point of time mm. doesn't mean i have to choose it now i've changed my mind mm. so that's the key the moment i say i'm not a victim 
I created this. If I could create this, I can also uncreate it. Sure. Then if I ask questions, what would it take to uncreate it? Then the awareness starts showing up. And that's when, like I did, I started loving myself. I started taking care of myself. I started saying no. I made, like you said, cha lifestyle changes. I eat differently. Hmm. I sleep differently. I live differently. I laugh more. Hmm. I keep time to have fun. I do a lot of things that I never did. I thought they were not very, they were not important. Important you know? in the scheme of things. Yeah, yeah they were not important. But today, I have awoken to the preciousness of my life, the preciousness of my body. I have immense respect and regard. So it's a wake-up call for you to become congruent. Are mm. you treating yourself with regard? Are you even interested in living? Mm. Why are you living? Is your living joyful or not? Because if, you're, if your life is not joyful, if you are not creating your life in a constructive way, you're still primarily a creator. So you will create it in a destructive way. Mm. So get aligned to the creation, which is constructive. You came here to be a gift. Like I first said, when we started, we all came here to be a gift. What is that gift of you? Mm. Do what you love. How much of a life you have? You may have one month or you may have five months or mm. you may have five years or 50 years, whatever it may be. Live now right. in the present. Right. What's over is over. But now live as the creator of your life. Right. Make your choices. Choose what you desire. Mm. Whether it's that happy family, abundant finances, uh, you know, that fit body. You have to make a choice and then live congruently. You can't say I wish to lose weight and then go eat more than what your body requires. You can't say, I want to have a joyful life and keep complaining and cribbing about everything. Mm. So start looking at, are you living your life congruently? Are you living joyfully? Are you doing what you love? Mm. Treasure your life, treasure your loved ones. They may be a pain in the ass at times, <laughs> but you are creating the disharmony. You're the one who can create the harmony. Mm with everything around you. Mm. So I enjoy your beautiful life because I put these principles in place. And now I know what I want to create, which is to spread this awareness that living with bitterness, anger, judgment is not the most joyous way to mm. live. Let's get rid of it. It affects our bodies. Mm. So yeah, that's wow. what I want to leave people with. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was wonderful. Thank you for having me. I'm really, really grateful for getting this chance to, you know, share this message. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll be back soon with a new episode. You can catch Podcast MD by Keto on all the major platforms like Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, GeoSavan, and Hubhopper. You can also find it on eplog.media, our production partner. Please send us your feedback on Twitter using hashtag PodcastMDKeto. Leave us a review rating on iTunes and make sure you subscribe to the show. Goodbye. Thank you.